Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Friday, the 17th of July. Why tell you that? Well, because this one particular headline is absolutely time-sensitive. I am sad to report that Thursday, yesterday, the United States saw its highest single day of new COVID-19 cases. I'll use the word yet. Hmm. I would love to say yesterday was the highest day we'd ever see, but um, I think I better... Temper that and use the word yet. 71,135 new cases. Um, The Associated Press lead headline this morning, virus prompts drastic measures as death tolls set records nationwide. So let's be um, prayerful today. Let's be uh, responsible. Um, Let's be concerned more for neighbor than for self. Let's, uh, Let's do the right thing. Even when it's uncomfortable, I don't like wearing a mask either, but when I am out in public, I am doing so to uh, not only protect myself and others around me at the time, but to preserve my um, my own opportunity to you know go see my elderly parents who are obviously at very high risk. So um, do it for your neighbor or do it for the parent of your neighbor or the grandparent of your neighbor. It, it, you know, it's this is definitely the do unto others uh, call right now related to um, taking on something. This would be a mask uh, that is uncomfortable and sweaty and you don't want to do necessarily, but uh, but do it for your own health and for the health of others. All right, yesterday, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, released the report of the Commission on Unalienable Rights. We are not going to cover every aspect of this report today because I haven't had an opportunity to read it in depth. What I will say is that if you were just to uh, Google unalienable rights, um, you are going to find pretty much every headline across the country is pejorative, um, which means that they, they have chosen to frame this in a negative light. I find that unfortunate. Um, I, I very much wish that... Um, Media outlets had at least attempted to offer some journalistic balance when they reported on this. Um, however, from uh, the Washington Post to Politico to, to Yahoo News to the, York, to the New York Times, you will only find what I would describe as pejorative reporting, negatively slanted reporting on the uh, Commission on Unalienable Rights report. Um, and you will uh, you will hear and see uh, Secretary Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, personally villainized. The only um, major media outlet uh, out there across the country that seemed to attempt to offer what I would describe as a journalistically balanced article, and so that's the one I would direct you to, is the one in the Wall Street Journal. Um, Pompeo takes on the politis- politicization, I can't even hardly say that word today, politi- mm-hmm, I'm not going to try again, uh, politicization of human rights. 
So um, we will talk about this more over the course of time. But I would encourage you to begin reading in this weekend on this particular story um, because it is going to be a conversation we will be having going forward. We need to recognize what are the unalienable rights granted to us by God, regardless of the time and place in which we live. And what does it mean here in the United States of America for those to have been articulated by our founding fathers? And then what does it look like for us to live them out in the context of contemporary culture? So those are going to be the ongoing conversations we're going to be having related to this report. But right now, Matthew Hawkins is waiting in the wings. He is the former policy director in Washington, D.C. for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church. Um, And he and I are going to talk about a range of headlines from across the country related to abortion. Uh, And so, you know, we can't we cannot simultaneously pay attention to everything that's going on right now. And I don't want us to fail to recognize and understand what is happening in our federal courts in relationship to um, laws that are being passed by representative uh, congresses across the country and signed into law by by governors duly elected by the people of those states. And then those laws are being undone by federal judges. And so we're going to talk about that next with Matthew Hawkins. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Matthew Hawkins. You can find him on Twitter at MTHawk. You can also find him online at MatthewTHawkins.com. Matt, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Good to be back. Yeah, thank you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yeah, so um, we are thanking God that it's Friday, but we are thanking God every day that it, that it, right? Because every day is a day we're thanking God for. So exactly. you and I will thank God that it is Friday. Um, let's cover these these headlines from across the country Related wow. to, I mean, I guess there's yeah. a couple of ways to frame this. They're related to abortion or they're related to life. Talk with us yeah. about what has happened in relationship to these heartbeat abortion bans in Georgia and Tennessee. Yeah. So um, what you see here is a flurry of um, of mostly a judicial action in related in relation to abortion policy and uh, at the state level. Uh, again, we're in an era where not not much is happening at the federal level uh, regarding abortion for good or ill. Um, but uh, Georgia and Tennessee had passed these quote unquote heartbeat. Uh, bills, which basically would ban abortions. Um, they would number one require abortion doctors to um, provide a sonogram, and if a heartbeat is detected, then uh, it would be legal um, to have to uh, conduct an abortion. Um, that ends up uh, banning abortion at approximately six weeks. Um, which on the one hand is uh, in, in pregnancy terms is early in the pregnancy. It's first uh, first trimester. Um, but uh, if, if people believe that a heartbeat is a decent sign of life, uh, we don't, uh, pro-lifers don't believe that that's the beginning of life, but it is a progressively, it is kind of a progressive threshold to, to get um, broad agreement with citizens among, uh, to say, look, uh, when you have a, a human uh, unborn um, uh, baby, that let, let's agree that at least when a heartbeat is present, that's a good, decent sign of life. Um, and let's hinge our policy um, and the right to life there for now. And uh, you've seen that done in Georgia and Tennessee, and a federal judge, um, unsurprisingly, uh, has struck that down um, in both states. Uh, and both states uh, naturally, uh, and I think in, in the Tennessee one, it was within you know 48 to 72 hours 
after Governor our Governor Bill Lee signed it into law. Um, so um, there's a few surprises here, other than it's just kind of a flurry and kind of a, a, a kind of a, another mark on the timeline. Uh, Georgia and Tennessee, I expect both will challenge that uh, federal ruling uh, at the at a higher level. So um, we're praying for progress here. Um, uh, it's, it remains to be seen whether uh, the heartbeat bills can withstand uh, the current uh, judicial landscape um, and the current kind of national mood and opinion um, uh, of American views on uh, on abortion. All right, Matt, let's talk about um, additional headlines out of yeah. Utah, Maryland, and Iowa. Let's do the Utah case because it is also – um, you know, it, it, it's similar right. to the heartbeat yeah. uh, ban. So talk, talk with us about what's going on in Utah. Yeah, so Utah had an eight-week eight uh, abortion ban, um, which may be kind of when you see bans around uh, the 20-week Eight or mark, 18. I'm going to reread that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. 18. Um, that, that, that usually is an indication they're hinging on medical science that indicates um, that uh, a fetus can feel pain uh, at that point in development. And uh, so we've talked in the past about some of the medical uh, developments um, along those lines, um, and uh, there's some pretty good indication that that, that happens. Uh, if you have um, uh, an in utero surgery uh, on an unborn child, um, they they tend to uh, they tend to give that baby uh, pain medication uh, so as to uh, diminish uh, the experience of that surgery. Um, that's also uh, this you know, sensitivity, reaction to pain is also a pretty decent, not only a decent sign of life, but it's also um, a, you know, a pretty decent humanitarian impulse to try to protect uh, a living being um, from pain. And basically a judge allows a legal challenge to move forward against against that policy. Um, so some of these decisions this week um, related to abortion rulings, uh, judges had put some of this stuff on hold um, because they were waiting on the Supreme Court ruling um, from the Louisiana case that we uh, heard about a couple weeks ago, um, where uh, the Louisiana attempts to more regulate uh, the abortion pr practice uh, with respect to uh, doctors and visiting privileges in the hospitals and that kind of stuff um, was struck down by the Supreme Court. So you had a handful of these uh, state-level abortion cases or, at, or, in, or in lower federal courts um, basically on hold or pending. And then once uh, the judges saw what the Supreme Court did— uh, um, which way that decision went, and then they moved forward because uh, nobody wants to issue a issue a decision and then be overturned by a a, a Supreme Court case that was already on the fire. So some of that um, some of this activity is related to that timeline. Okay, we're gonna um, take a very brief break. When we come back, uh, Matt and I are gonna talk about a ruling in Iowa where a judge has blocked the twenty uh, four hour waiting period for abortions, and then. A Maryland federal judge is allowing access to abortion pills without a doctor's visit. So those two stories up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Matt Hawkins. Um, Matt, let's talk about, um, again, decisions that are being made at the judicial level. So these are... Yeah. Um, rulings in court related to laws passed in particular states across the country. Let's turn our attention to yeah. Iowa. Yeah, Iowa. Um, 
Iowa had uh, passed a, a law to basically uh, require um, abortion-minded women to wait 24 hours um, prior to abortion. Um, and uh, that has the intent of um, uh, trying to encourage um, mothers to um, take take a little extra time once they're you know, aware and have a consultation uh, with an abortion doctor about their options. Uh, it's it's an attempt to make sure uh, that that mothers are educated uh, on their options and then really understand uh, the abortion procedure. And so, um, uh, there have been previous attempts in Iowa to make it a 72-hour waiting period. I mean, I think um, I think part of part of the rationale here, if I were just going to make yeah. the rationale, um, yeah. if I have to wait 24 or 72 hours. Um, between the time that I try to purchase a handgun and one is handed to me mm-hmm. in order to, mm-hmm. you know, potentially go out and take the life of another person, it seems right. reasonable that if the life yeah. of the person in my womb is going to be terminated, um, there should yeah. be a period of time during which uh, I am given an opportunity for what cooler. Ha- I mean, like, right, a different yeah. idea to come. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that yeah. if if people want just a talking point on this out there. Um, that's the rationale behind this. There should be a wait. If you're going to take the life of another person, we should culturally yeah. require some period of waiting. Yeah, and and even even if I mean, we we're looking, you and I are looking at through it at the lens about as far as the uh, the unborn human life. Um, uh, I think it's it's credible for the sake of building consensus around this. Um, uh, naturally, I mean, we could not as a as a father myself and a husband of a of a wife who we've experienced two miscarriages. Um, you know, those kinds of issues are really intense emotionally. Those kinds mm-hmm. of times and 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 figuring out what to do as as a new or a potential parent or uh, bringing a child into life. Um, and whatever you think about the abortion process, even if you're not with Carmen and I on, um, on, on understanding that that's, that's life inside the womb. Um, it is an abortion is a medical procedure. Um, and it does have physical ramifications and emotional ramifications for the mother. And, uh, it's, it's something that ought not, even if you don't buy into what, uh, Carmen and I believe about the sanctity of human life and, and unborn babies, um, it is a, it is a medical profi- procedure, which with profound risks and, and, um, and potential complications and, and emotional side effects. Uh, and it ought not be rushed into, uh, um, something, um, um, and particularly with, with, with a lot of, uh, abortive women, uh, explained that they really felt pressured into, mm-hmm. uh, having an abortion. Uh, so that, that, that pressure comes from, uh, the fathers, uh, married or unmarried and, and families often. Um, and so there's, frankly, this is a, you know, a, a mother, a woman minded, uh, kind of bill to try right. to relieve some of those kinds of emotional, um, uh, pressures a little bit, um, and a state judge in Iowa has has struck that down for the time being, um, and so uh, that this is kind of these cases and others uh, kind of paint the the legal uh, legislative landscape um, because uh, these legislators are uh, you know generally pretty smart people, so they understand the legal challenges are coming right. So when a governor signs this stuff into law, they're not surprised that uh, Planned Parenthood files a lawsuit the same or next day, right? Um, it's all part of the calculation. So we'll see where these cases go forward. Um, but it is interesting to see this kind of flurry of events this week. All right. And then um, finally, to this conversation about what some people would call a chemical abortion, others would call a 
yeah. uh, medication, abortion. These are abortions right. that um, that really are self. That this is this is a woman getting a series yeah. of pills that she then takes at home um, with no interaction whatsoever with a doctor, um, and yeah. and it and it results in an abortion. Um, yeah. I just dealing with that at home by yourself. First of all, I just that this is unimaginably traumatic. Um, and it is. I, 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 this is horrible. And yet we uh, we now have a, a federal judge in Maryland who says, no, no, women should have access to these abortion pills without even ever having to see a doctor. Yeah, and I think that's really, really dangerous. As you said, it's it's an intense process. It, a pill taking a pill sounds pretty innocuous, um, but what you're talking about is, frankly, dis, you're disrupting um, what is a healthy biological process in a woman, um, and that, with, without going too graphic, um, is uh, it can it it can be painful. Uh, and it's not pleasant um, uh, for people who have experienced miscarriage. Uh, sometimes you have the option, if it's early enough in the pregnancy, you have the option of doing this basically the same thing at home instead of the DNC procedure at the hospital. Um, and speaking from personal experience, frankly, uh, the, the, the at-home option um, is... I would not recommend it um, based on uh, personal experiences with, with my family uh, in the context of a miscarriage again. Um, and so to, to, to think that that kind of uh, application of a, a, of a drug is, uh, you know, could be dished out without doc, doc, uh, doctor oversight is pretty stunning. Um, and, you know, uh, what, was the, what was the percentage in this report about uh, how many – was it like 40% of American abortions happen with right, these this drugs? Way. Yeah, this way. This, this, is, this, this way, is now. This way. This is, this um, is, this is not, sort of the growing this, trend in, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, it, it's horrifying. Yeah. And, and pr- presumably – and presumably a spike recently uh, because of uh, limitations on COVID, uh, because of the COVID pan, uh, pandemic, um, where uh, abortion procedures, along with many other medical procedures, have been uh, you know postponed or delayed and that kind of thing. Um, so 40% is not a fringe kind of situation. Um, it is go-to for, for a lot of abortion providers. So uh, this is troubling, um, to say the least. All right. You and I might have to leave our conversation um, right there today. Um, there is, well, maybe we'll have time to just touch on this. Notre Dame has issued yeah. this How Americans yeah. Understand Abortion. This is a really in-depth Fascinating. interview-based study of American attitudes on abortion. We want to, uh, how about you and I just plan in advance to circle back around to this? Give us the, um, love you to. Know, give us sort of the top line today. Yeah, so the top line is uh, Notre Dame um, and and some partners uh, sought out to go beyond just kind of checkbox related surveys related to abortion. So they surveyed people in depth uh, with conversation based surveying, and found a lot of uh, big findings. That frankly, Carmen, it, it rings true uh, to my anecdotal experience. Uh, the top, some of the top line observations is number one, Americans don't talk much about abortion. Uh, no kidding, that's part of part of our issue. Um, 
survey statistics oversimplify American abortion attitudes. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> uh, position labels, pro-choice, pro-life, are imprecise substitutes for actual views on abortion. No kidding. I, I mean, just going down this list, I had a, a talked to an uh, old college friend of, of mine yesterday, um, and uh, we were talking, catching up, but also talking about um, uh, some of the uh, contraceptive-related lawsuits, like Little Sisters of the Poor, that kind of thing, and it brought, brought us naturally into a conversation about abortion. And like a lot of these bullet points from the Notre Dame survey uh, would would have pinged and lit up during our own conversation, uh, talking about uh, our, our particular views and, and views of friends. And uh, uh, most of us are just not thinking or discussing um, abortion in a nuanced way um, in which that actually reflects actual American views. And so most of the polling you see uh, to date uh, really doesn't give us an accurate reflection about what we really think about things. And that inhibits, uh, that in turn, I believe inhibits, um, you know, our, our discourse about the issue. Mm -hmm. I, I also, and this will be the point that I hope you and I can return to um, mm -hmm. in a future conversation, this, this absolute distance and the distance appears to be getting wider between yeah. what people think should be legal or illegal and what right. they consider to be moral or immoral. And yeah. This, yeah. this lengthening of distance between legality and morality, um, I yeah. think that is what, you know, it's an underlying um, foundational conversation that we have to have as Christians seeking to cultivate a worldview that's based on, um, you know, what God has not only envisioned but set, set forth in the scriptures, of the Old New Testaments, and whether or not that's really a guide for us. Like, if it's just yeah. a guide for us in terms of, you know, what we sing about, and then it's not actually a guide for us in terms of, you know, the lived practice of our lives, we have a real problem. Right. And that's one of the things yeah. I think that this, um, that this particular study unmasks. There is an observable distance, particularly for Roman Catholics, um, yeah. they, they, they do not follow their own theology, um, in this pro-life conversation at all. So I, I just thought that was totally fascinating. Okay. Yeah. You and I are going to have to leave it right there. Matt Hawkins, thank you as always so much. You guys visit him online, MatthewTHawkins.com. Um, Hey, are you going to, are you guys doing, um, crossing phase? Are you doing a podcast on the Hagia Sophia? Uh, we mentioned it in a previous episode, um, and we'll probably return to it. I saw I saw your guest uh, later on today's yeah, Ike program. Yeah, Ike and Erdemir's uh, on today, but yeah. Yeah, he's, he's good. I, I wanna, he's good. He's I want to hear you guys talk about it as well. All right. Hey, thanks, man. <laughs> Great. Well, all right. Sure thing. Okay. We'll be right back. Uh, Dan DeWitt is going to be with me next. He and I are going to talk about some other headlines um, that you might want to spend some time reading this weekend. We call it the Weekend Worldview Reader. Uh, we're also going to revisit some storylines that we didn't have time to get to earlier this week. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I know something about you. You're pretty good at listening when something is important to you. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I find that moms and dads have forgotten that fact. They don't listen anymore partly because they've gotten so good at talking. And a few years ago, when their kids were little, talking worked. When teens want to spread their wings and figure things out on their own, the time for lecturing has come to a close. Now's the time to rest your voice and use your ears. It's the perfect opportunity for you to show your teen how important you think he is. When your teen shares his heart, don't ruin the moment by interrupting. If you do, he may quit sharing altogether. 
So stop talking and start listening. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at parentingtodaysteens.org. Dan DeWitt, you can find what we're talking about today at Theolatte.com. That's like God and coffee, Theolatte.com. Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. Great to be back with you. All right. I am looking at the newly published Weekend Worldview <laughs> Reader at Theolatte.com. Um, and I want to I get to the highlights um, on that, but I want to touch on something else that's posted here at Theolatte.com first, and that's five reasons preachers should listen to hip-hop. Um, so if you wanted to produce a, a controversial um, lead for my listening audience, that would probably be it. So first of all, you're going to have to tell us, you're going to have to define hip-hop for many of our listeners, um, and then you're going to have to make your case for why preachers should be listening to hip-hop. Well, so I would define hip hop and they're probably, I'm sure probably a more technical definition, but it's the style of music that is um, known for kind of a speaking style um, that's set to a cadence. And because of the way I just described it, you should hear that and think, oh, that often sounds like what preachers do. <laughs> There's a speaking style with a lot of content. Good preaching is going to have a repetition to it. Um, it's going to be memorable. It's going to be impactful. And so hip-hop is a musical genre that has been in recent history in the last couple of years, um, voted the most popular musical style in the United States of America. And so if you want to kind of have a window into what people are listening to, what they enjoy, um, you're going to have to listen to hip-hop. And if you're a preacher, you should care about that. And so the reason I wrote this post and there's a book called The Artist's Way of Preaching by an author, Charles Dennison. It's several years old, but he argues that preachers should read poetry to improve their preaching. And so I just make the argument they not only should read poetry, they should listen to it as well through hip hop. So there's a uh, for people who would recognize um, like um, Jackie Perry. Like she is a spoken word artist um, who's a Christian who many people would recognize and Jackie Hill Perry would many people would recognize. Um, and she would not describe herself, I don't think, as a hip hop artist. But for no. Christians who are trying to um, understand what we're talking about today, because hip hop is not something that they have um, exposed themselves to or been exposed to. Um, when we think about the way we listen and the way we hear and things that are memorable there is a, a rhythm and a cadence that makes things easier to listen to and more memorable. Um, and spoken word artists, um, uh, they're very adept at this. Many preachers are not adept at this. They have not learned to speak in the kind of cadence that makes what they're saying memorable. Well, and absolutely right. And that's why I think hip-hop, why they should listen to hip-hop and at least learn to appreciate it. I love hip-hop, personally. Um and, and sometimes th there are people who would, they just don't like that music, and, and, that, and that's okay. I'm not necessarily okay, saying this that is, they're— this is, So I would say that when Kanye West announced that, you know, he's planning to run for president of the United <laughs> States, and I imagined what the State of the Union address would be like, delivered by Kanye West in a spoken word 
hip-hop cadence. I, I'll just admit to you, that's a compelling reason. <laughs> <laughs> it would, if, if it was Kanye West and he had a DJ there, I think that the ratings for the State of the uh, Union address would go through the roof. So Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, there you go. But, you know, one of the things that spoken word poets and and hip hop artists do, and again, you know, spoken word poets not going to have music, they're not going to have a DJ, um, whereas a hip hop artist would, um, is often when you listen to it, both um, what would be deemed secular hip hop and Christian hip hop artists, they're often very good at um, developing and explaining concepts through metaphors, which is, you know, the way we all learn. We learn something new by referencing it to something we already understand. And so metaphors are a powerful way to help us make sense of new concepts. And hip hop artists are are great at it. They're also great at giving us these concise and compelling sound bites so that when you walk away from the song, you'll remember the hook. You'll remember something specific from the song. And it's sad that preachers don't put more thought into when someone leaves this sermon, when they walk out of my church, what's the one thing that through repetition, through the creative framing of a concept that they're going to have stuck in their in their mind? Um, the cadence, of course, I think is important. There are certain preachers who are more prone to be used in hip-hop songs by Christian artists. And if you look at the, the kind of preachers they use, take John Piper, for example, you'll see that these are often preachers who have a kind of cadence to their sermons. We wonder why their their sermons are so popular, why they're so often quoted. And one more thing I would add, I could add a bit more, but it's translating theology. Um, if you listen to, for example, the Christian artist Flame, um, he has an album called Our World Fallen and then another album called Our World Redeemed. And what he's doing is what we do every time we get to talk is we talk about how we understand the world from a biblical perspective. But what Flame is doing specifically is trying to explain it to a specific audience. And so I think that hip-hop artists and Christian hip-hop artists in particular can help us understand what that looks like to take a big concept and make it make it relatable, um, memorable for a specific target audience. I can't remember um, which guest it was that I talked with um, recently, but one of the things that they're doing is they are seeking to cultivate um, music, like, right, songwriters in particular, um, who are able to translate really good theology into the popular culture um, you know, through through song, through music. And so they're encouraging that by having these uh, songwriting contests. So I, I think that there is there's more here than um, uh, than folks might at first blush imagine. And so just wanted to, to highlight this again. The article is five reasons preachers should listen to hip hop. And you can find it at theolatte.com. When we come back, Dan DeWitt and I are going to um, we're going to take a little romp through this week's Weekend Worldview Reader Um, which Dan has graciously posted, again, at Theolatte.com. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dan DeWitt, you can find everything we're talking about today at Theolatte.com. Dan, let's move to the Weekend Worldview Reader. What on this list do you want to highlight leading off? Well, I I would love to just highlight the Jared Wilson article that he linked to. He wrote it some time back, but linked to on social media, because I think it pertains to all of the sensitive topics that often um, we look at in the Weekend Worldview Reader. And Jared Jared Wilson's article, Jerks for Jesus, is it it highlights the fact that there are a lot of people within the um, within the evangelical social media space who 
try to take on a prophetic voice, and will often use that as a reason why they could be dismissive of others, why they could give clickbait that's offensive to entire segments of um, evangelicalism, and it's okay because they're just, you know, Jesus was um, often, you know, overturned tables in the temple. Paul talks about the Cretans were liars, and so they'll kind of hide behind that as a way of being jerks for Jesus. And I think that that's worth all of us paying attention to, um, that we need to speak the truth and love and season our words, as Paul says, with salt. I like the way that uh, in this piece, Jared Wilson sort of points out the fact that we don't just argue, we often pick fights, um, we Mm -hmm. insult other Christians, we mock people, we provide scathing sarcasm or silly memes. Um, and then when anybody calls us out, um, we try to cite biblical prophets, uh, you know, as you've noted. And so yeah. um, this is an excellent um, observation piece. Um, I have in the past had when somebody is saying, well, I'm just being prophetic and really they're just being a jerk. Um, yeah. you know, I have said, well, you know, let's let's think about the weeping prophets. And and that's actually where, you know, Jared hmm. turns very quickly. You know, the prophets wept and they bled. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're, you know, you look at Paul in Acts um, when before he gives his sermon, the famous sermon at Mars Hill, that he's he's overcome with the fact that these people are worshiping so many false gods. And I think that that's a good prerequisite to our message that we we have this inner turmoil, that we love people, we're hurting for people, the way that Jesus wept for people, that we should follow in his footsteps, and that that not only shapes, um, to some degree, our urgency in our mission, but it also shapes the way we talk about it, which is very, very important. Absolutely. All right. Also, um, on your Weekend Worldview reader list, we have... um, Drained and depressed by the internet, go outside. This is uh, this is maybe the best counsel of the day. I am definitely going outside today. I have lots of tomatoes to pick um, and <laughs> eggs some. to collect, and yeah. So there you go. So um, this um, this encouragement, this reminder to go outside. Yeah, the you know the psalmists say that the heavens declare the glory of God, and so one of the things that we could do is let nature do its good work that it was designed to do, and which is to declare glory which is also the subtitle of the book I recommend this week that is about the cosmos, how the heavens declare the glory of God. So go out in nature and let nature do what God created it to do. Let it declare glory. Let it um, help restore your soul and let it get you away from some of the jerks for Jesus that can undo us at times when we spend too much time in the social media space. Okay, the fact that you have um, a book recommended here on the Weekend Worldview Reader also reminds me that you always post a video. Tell us about this week's video um, on the Weekend Worldview Reader. The thing I wish—I missed my calling, Carmen. I really wish I would have been the person (laughs) (laughs) who took C.S. Lewis's writings and put them in doodle form. But the person who does this, if you click on the video on the Weekend Worldview Reader, click on their channel. They have— scores of videos um, that are C.S. Lewis content, puts a really creative videos and lots of hand-drawn sketches. So this week is uh, about the new man, and it's out of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and what happens when when faith in God and in Jesus changes a person. So check it out. If you've not read Mere Christianity, definitely watch the video, then go read the book. If you've read the book before, let the video remind you of how insightful C.S. Lewis could be. And I'm sure if Lewis were alive today, he would listen to hip hop. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, undoubtedly. Um, all right. I want to um, I want to reach back. One of the videos that you posted um, on the Weekend Worldview Reader, I think a month ago, was what uh, features um, Phil Vischer um, yeah. from VeggieTales fame. Um, and he was talking in his video about America and American history and really seeking to educate um, all of us where there might be gaps in our uh, in our historical understanding. This um, this video has has really caught fire. I mean, it, it, it's viral in ways in terms of a conversation starter that maybe would surprise a lot of people. T- talk with us about this. Well, the video was really helpful. And, you know, I, I try to stay um, as informed as I can um, on this topic. But to watch this short video, there was so many things I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that and I didn't know that. And what should happen when we watch that as Christians, as it should, um, really move us to empathy and compassion and ultimately to repentance for where we have um, been dismissive, where we've been judgmental, where we have blind spots, prejudices, um, move us to repentance and then also move us to action. Because of the article I mentioned earlier with Jared Wilson, sometimes you'll have a segment of Christians who just don't want to respond to that, or they'll dismiss um, somebody like Phil Vischer as being leftist. Um, Phil talks about that in the article that that I linked to, um, that this is just kind of a um, someone who just subscribes to critical race theory. There are, of course, issues we need to talk about there, but it's interesting to me how alive and well cancel culture is in the right flank of American evangelicalism. And there are some topics that are just taboo, and if you mention them, then surely you must be a liberal. And what we need to say is Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians, no, racism is something we have to deal with. We can't be silent, and Phil Fisher takes it head-on, and he has to deal with the repercussions as he talks about. But I'm thankful that he took a stand and he's helping us get educated so that we could be more like Jesus in how we live out the gospel. Which leads me to the Denny Burke piece um, posted at CNN.com. And this is um, a very, very candid set of of conversations that Denny Burke has had with uh, with black Christians reading it because I know Trillia Newbell um, and because Mm -hmm. she's been a frequent guest here on the show reading this was heartbreaking um, yeah. and and sobering. Talk with us about um, the reaction when white Christians um, become, you know, return just return to regular rhythms of life because we can, um, when we make excuses for other whites who um, have just horrifically bad theology related to um, people with darker skin pigmentation. Um, talk with us about our responsibility as white Christians right now. Well, we certainly do have a responsibility, and we're going to make mistakes in how we talk about these issues. Um, we certainly don't want to set out to do that. I've seen Christian apologists who intend to be as offensive as possible as clickbait to try and build their platform. And and we should not only repudiate that, but warn others um, from using similar language um, or even consuming such resources. What we need to do is have a careful, committed, caring conversation 
that should last as long as we live, because this is an issue that's not going away in our lifetime. We need to recognize that we are going to be um, challenged, um, but we could just state up front. We believe the Bible. We believe it's inspired and inerrant, um, but we also believe that the Bible talks a lot about justice and about how we are to care for the people around us. And so it is heartbreaking to see how our brothers and sisters who um, are persons of color, who understand a minority perspective, which I just can't relate to. You know, all of my minority experiences have been on a mission field where I'm a quote unquote celebrity minority. So yes, I'm surrounded by people who don't look like me, but I'm also... um, in a very kind of exalted, privileged position. I don't know what it's like to have a minority experience in somewhere like North America. So we need to hear these voices. We cannot dismiss them. We need to stand for them. Um, Where there are people who are dismissive or talk about these issues in hurtful ways who claim the name of Christ, we have to challenge them. This is our responsibility. And I don't know exactly where all of this goes as church leaders and Christians, but it certainly has to start with a commitment to speak for those who don't always have a voice, um, and don't always have a platform, and to use our platform to to be a blessing to others and to stand up for their their rights. So I, I deeply care about this, and I recognize that I'm probably horrible at it, but I'm committed to keep trying. Yeah, that's pretty. That's that's where I am as well. Um, all right, Dan Dewitt, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, you can you guys can connect with the Weekend Worldview Reader and everything else we talked about uh, in our conversation with Dan today at theolatte.com. We'll be right back. All right, we got a whole other hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Whew. All right, let's take a deep breath. Let's get a second cup of coffee. Let's thank God that it's Friday. Let's be sure that we are making a litany of praise this morning as we are considering who God is and what that means for who we are in the day that lies ahead and the possibilities of the future filled with hope that he has planned, the good works he has designed in advance for us to do, and all the ways he has equipped us uh, with his spirit and his word. All right. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.